Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Either you're thinking of firing all your employees, locking yourself in the bathroom to scream in disbelief, or starting up your own business and have not slept in the last month, we have the stories from the people who are there or have been there. This is your dose of leadership excellence and survival. All right. Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. I have Brendan here. This gentleman is a master in communications. Uh, what he does is he helps people understand how to communicate efficiently and effectively. I guess one way to say it is use less words, but say more. So, Brendan, could you give people a general background of who you are, kind of how you got to, to this point in, in doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely, Perry. Thanks for having me on. So my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. How I got started was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing football or soccer, rugby. I was doing the same things, but with presentations. So during my three-year stint in doing my bachelor's, I had presented over 500 times, coached dozens of people on public speaking, coached people around the world uh, to go and speak at international level competitions. By the time I had graduated, I had started working as a, as a consultant at IBM. And I just asked myself the simple question, how, what could I do to make an impact in the world? What I realized, Perry, was a lot of the content on public speaking on YouTube specifically was really bad. You know, you hear advice like, oh, you know, you should imagine everyone in their underpants or just be yourself. And I said, all of this is general, nonspecific. So we make a difference here. So I started making videos in my house and one thing led to another and I was able to build a successful executive coaching practice uh, um, on top of that as well. So it, it seems like you looked at these videos and then thought to yourself, these are not actionable steps. You got it. So, so basically what happened was I was watching a lot of the videos on the platform. And one in particular that I can talk about is the title. The name of the video was entitled How to Manage Vocal Tones. And the video goes something like this. Yeah, so today, everyone, we're going to learn how to manage. And I'm just standing there like, how do, you don't know how to manage your own vocal tones. How are you <laughs> coaching? And that individual is a PhD in the subject and had over 70,000 subscribers. And I just said, I could do better than this. Like, it makes no sense. So, that was, <laughs> so many businesses start like that. You look at it, I could do better than that. <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. It was actually so bad that I said, I could do better with the phone. Because at th that point, I hadn't started working corporate yet. I could do better with the phone with no budget. And that's exactly what I did. And obviously now it's it's a lot more robust than it used to be. But that's how it started. <laughs> that that's great. Yeah, we were we were talking before we we set up this podcast, and and for everybody who knows, I I generally spend about thirty minutes with each guest before we even schedule, just to get to know them. And Brendan and I had a great conversation about the poopy in your pants uh, syndrome when you have to meet people who are executives or or things of that nature. And in my life, I've had to sit in boardrooms a lot. I've had to meet very important people. I've been a very important person. Uh, you know the general manager on the other side, the owner of a large company that holds the contract and had people come sit with me. And it is normal, or let's say most people who are not psychopaths tend to have a nervousness when they're not used to that environment. They got to go up and talk to, to do a presentation or they got to go sit in front of a board and they have this nervousness, nervousness that makes them sit there and then just go blank. How are, what are you doing to help people that struggle with that? 
Absolutely. So there's a couple of great taxes we can use to overcome that fear pretty quickly, actually. But let's start by discussing the origin of that fear. Because one, one question not many people ask themselves in the industry, especially in communications, is why are we all scared of public speaking to some degree? Why do we all have those nerves? Whether you talk to someone in Japan, in the States, or really in any country in Europe, everyone's got this issue, but we don't really understand the origin of it. So let me break that down for people. Where do we give most of our presentation in our lives? The answer is almost always school, because we don't see presentations as something optional, but rather mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Perry, you want to get breakfast today and present all day? It's not something that we do. It's just not in our lexicon. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, not... it's when you're sitting there and your teacher goes, hey, come up here and answer this question. <laughs> Absolutely, which which you're, you're, already, you're already ahead of the, the analogy, which I love. So, <laughs> so we're sitting together in university, college, high school, whichever institution you want, and three things happen. One, we never get to pick the topic. And if we do, it's generally something we're not passionate about. Think about the Renaissance in history class, which most people probably think is a fruit right now, but it's a time period uh -huh. in history. Number two, school is one of the few presentation environments where you're presenting to people who are also presenting after you. And the implication of that is a lot more important than most people think. So let's say you're standing in front of the crowd, Perry, and you're presenting, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, everyone is not paying attention to me. It must be because I'm a bad speaker. Not true. The reality of the situation is I'm sitting in the same class as you, biting my nails, because I got to present 10 minutes after you. Whereas normally, when you're, when you're presenting a presentation, you know, a keynote at a conference, nobody is from the audience is standing up to present after you. They're just paying attention to your pitch and taking notes. Right? So school is one of those weird environments. You're always presenting to an audience that is also presenting after, so they're never paying attention to you by default. They're always worrying about their own stuff. Number three, teachers. Teachers are very well-educated, very well-intentioned, but also very stressed. They have 70 students in a classroom, 50 students in a classroom. They have two classes to go through all of their presentations. They don't have time to coach you one-on-one -on -one for 10 minutes. So let's recap. In almost all of the presentations that you've given before you started working in the corporate world, three things have happened. You never got to pick the topic. It's generally something you care about. You're always presenting to students who don't have their full attention on you, and you're always being coached by teachers who don't have time to coach you. And this behavior gets repeated in every subject. Math, English, sciences, languages, gym, music, on and on and on. We're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore. It's a responsibility. If we're at school, it's tied to a grade. And if we're at work, it's tied to a result. And if we fail at any part of that journey, we get punished for it, whether it's a lower grade at school or whether it's a promotion that we don't get at work. So what's the punchline here, Perry? The punchline is that the fear of public speaking has nothing to do with us, but rather the system in which we grew up learning the skill in the first place. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you go through school and you get called on all the time and, and you have that negative experience and then that negative experience happens over and over again. So you, you, you learn <laughs> because you're a human being that this is not fun and this the outcomes of this are more often negative than they are positive. That makes a lot of sense. So when when someone's sitting in that position and they're, they're brought up and they go through this system and they have that fear of public speaking, what are their what are they supposed to do to be able to start overcoming that? you know, that stress. 
Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of things that we can do here. The first thing that I recommend in the specific scenario that you outlined, where you're you're speaking to executives and you're not really used to speaking people with people at that level of a position, so you're nervous, especially if you're a manager getting started. You just you're you're a fr- freshly promoted manager and you have these new tasks that you didn't have before. In that type of situation, what I'd recommend is humanizing executives. So what I do with my clients is I force them to have coffees with senior leaders within their own organization. So by constantly being in conversation with them, since your surrounding is almost always executives now, since you're always talking to them, what happens is you don't see them as a threat anymore. You just see them as another person. So for example... Uh, I coach a lot of SVPs and VPs, and obviously at the beginning, I was a bit nervous coaching them because, like, wow, these people are very senior as executives. But as you talk to them, you realize they have the same passions as you. They like football as much as you do, or you know, some other thing. You know, they they love marathons or some passion that you have. They're all human beings at the end of the day. And once we're able to humanize them as individuals, then that person isn't the main buyer anymore. It's just Perry that I had lunch with last week. So this is going to be an easy meeting. So by constantly humanizing yourself, that's a great way to to cut a lot of the fat and a lot of the stress that you have in those presentations. And the second part of that, Perry, is to always do the harder thing. So if a client comes up to me and says, you know, Brendan, I have this executive board meeting on Monday with five executives I haven't met yet. and I don't know what they're going to ask me and I'm a bit nervous. What I do is I get seven people who are executives in my coaching groups to grill them for three hours during the weekend and make that meeting 10 times harder than what they would have otherwise encountered on the Monday. So when they get bulleted with hundreds of questions and it's Monday, and the executive just goes, oh, yeah, we just had a couple of things to go over. This actually won't take more than 15 minutes of your time. You kind of just go, oh, this was a really easy meeting. So the key is to always do the harder thing so that you're less stressed when you do the actual thing. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and when we talked about this before, we, we mentioned this a little bit. What I also enjoyed is that if you do the, if you do the harder thing and, and you were successful at it, then you get to see yourself being successful. And, and I really believe in, I, I really believe that seeing yourself being successful grows your confidence, even if it's a, mo- a small success. So going through that, getting, getting that harder thing done, coming out of the end and going, okay, I can do this. I'm capable of it actually will build up your, your confidence in yourself and your ability to, to do it. Do you have any other tips that, that you're telling them to do to get, to get ready Absolutely. before they get in front of them? Absolutely. And then uh, before I explain the exercise, let me explain the context for this. Probably be useful for them. So, so the idea is we need to keep in mind that communication is a multiplier effect. So back to what you said, Perry, that I completely agree with is this idea that when you work on one vertical of communication, you get good at one thing, you get a quick win somewhere that immediately makes you better at everything else. So if you become a master of one in communication, you all of a sudden slowly become a master of all. So what happened with me is I, I got really good at presentation skills. That's why I, re- I focused all of my attention just on presentation skills. And then what happened is as I got better at presentations, the way that I conversed with people got better. The way that I ran meetings got better. The way that I took notes and communicated concisely got better. And then I focused on the next vertical. Okay, let me talk. Let me have conversations with people now and do that all the time. That got better. And then over time, I became a master of all, like I'm sure many of you will be. And one easy trick that you can do is the hardest exercise in my book that's actually very easy for you to implement on a daily basis is called the random word exercise. 
So essentially what you do, you can do this alone. You essentially just pick five random words in your house, objects, and you make presentations out of thin air. So you can say couch or tree. And the reason why this exercise is effective is if you could present that object that you have no expertise in, when you go back to the your work that, that you spent years on or a project you spent months on, that's much easier to speak on than couch. And I'm happy to give an example pair if you want to give me a random word. Yeah, let's uh, mouse. There you go. Maybe like a computer mouse. Sure. Okay. So now I have to make a presentation out thin air with mouse. So here I go. The internet and technology has changed the way that we work, how we do business, and who we are as human beings. Just 50 years ago, if you wanted to figure out the date of birth of your favorite celebrity, well, tough luck. You would have to find their book. And today, that same exact information can be available with a click of a button. And over time, to build these technologies and use them more effectively, we've, we've discovered and invented new tools to get the ball rolling. Whether it's the quirky keyboard that helps us type 200 words a minute, whether it's the touchpad that allows us to surf on our laptops while we're in between air flights and getting ready for the next meeting. But more importantly, the computer mouse. The mouse is not just a device, but a piece of innovation that allows us to navigate the web and all of the plethora of information that's available to us. And without this mouse, life becomes a challenge. So in the same way that you use a mouse to navigate your life, I challenge you all to use the cursor on your computer to navigate what you want to achieve in your careers and your life. So that would be something random that I would do. So the point that I'm driving with the random word exercise, cut three things in particular. One, never compare yourself to me. I've literally done this exercise over 2,000 times. I'm a slave on shows. Even when I don't want to practice, I need to to show credibility. Yeah, Uh, yeah. That's the first thing. Second thing is this idea of all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day. You wake up. You look at your orange juice that you drink, you look at your cup of coffee, and you make your presentations. One minute each doesn't take you that long. The third thing, though, is the most important, is the reason why this exercise is effective, is this idea of a mind shift. As we talked about earlier, as you get better with random words and you start doing really bizarre words like teddy bear or car, even if that seems a bit childish, what this does is it creates a sense of wonder and creativity in public speaking. It helps break the state that you're in. It helps you imagine yourself as a better speaker. And if you could present all of those things, when you go back at your project meetings at work, you'll be a whole other different speaker. And that's how I get results for people in probably a week or two, just by doing that one exercise. So that's something you can implement immediately. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it's something that'd be very useful because people, first off, you have to make up a story in your head and you have to do that quickly. And if you're able to do that quickly, then if you ever if you're ever stuck without something to say, you can quickly have something to say because <laughs> you have developed that. And I I love uh, the neuro, the part of neurobiology. And one thing I was studying about just to understand a little bit how my brain works is when I speak or when I think, how do different things connect? And my background, I, I've never done drugs. And well, I did some weed when I was younger, but short <laughs> of that. You know, I don't drink. I'm not a recreational drug user, none of that. However, I did sign up and take a psychedelic. 
which most of my friends thought I was nuts. And it's mainly because I was interested on, they have this default run mode in your brain and the psychedelic theoretically shuts that off and it allows you to think differently. So with this particular psychedelic, you try to do some prep work, take the psychedelic, do a journey, come out and journal to, to see what you went through. And that re the, the interesting part of the experience is it reestablishes connections that you didn't have before because it forces your brain to work in a different way. And that's what I think is powerful about what you're talking about is that by doing that presentation, you are forcing yourself to do something you don't normally do. You're forcing your brain to function in a different way. And I would bet good money that there is actual neuroscience that will show that while you do that consistently, you're establishing new pathways and increasing your ability to, to communicate. And that's something that these little things that you that you mentioned, that as small as this thing that you mentioned is, done with time, those pathways have to establish and you have to get better at it. Absolutely. Completely agreed. So when you when you went through your your mouse pitch, <laughs> the I noticed a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about. So you did a lot of work with your tonality. You were very careful in your pacing. So kind of walk me through that. How, how are you figuring out these are the tones? This is what I need to accentuate when I'm speaking. This is the pacing I need to do. How are you working through that? Right. So the way that I explain this to people is the random word exercise, much like every other exercise you'll get today, is a journey. Right. So when I start doing this with technology executives, they obviously probably don't present it like this. They start with something like, oh, well, you know, a computer mouse is an object that you use to move it around in the laptop. and you. So they, they focus really on the functionality of the device. They focus on what it, the use case, what the utility, what it actually does. And then they say, okay, hi, everyone, and here's my presentation. But over time, as you transition from the first version of the random word exercise into the future ones, you start to transition from just the utility to the experience, to the emotion, to how you're feeling in that moment. So for example, I, I got coffee cup. That's the easiest one I usually get, or just coffee. And I don't talk about the, you know, the, what coffee does for you or the benefits or the caffeine intakes. I talk about the moments that matter in the morning as you're su sipping that cup of, of, of java beans and you're kind of just looking at the sky and going, wow, what a beautiful morning. And the reason why I focus a lot more on moments and experiences is because those are the moments and experiences that we can relate to. So, of course, like you mentioned, you know, there's vocal tonalities, there were pace changes. I was very careful with my pauses. But I think that the what I really want to focus on is this idea that at the level that I'm at currently, I can do all of that intuitively. So it's very easy for me to just go through that. But that's because I've done the exercise 2,000 times. So I think the message for people is public speaking is juggling 18 balls at the same time. So what you want to do with this exercise and all the other things that we'll be learning today, you want to juggle one ball at a time. Don't look at Brendan and say, I want to do that tomorrow. Oh, let me do all the vocal tones and all that stuff. No, no, no. That's not going to work. What you want to do instead is say, okay, I always say filler words all the time. Let me do one presentation, one keynote with maybe three filler words. Then you get that ball rolling. And then you do eye contact. Let me spend more time looking at my audience. Two balls. And then three balls with vocal tonality. And then you'll realize after you're juggling five balls that you're pretty good at this. And then you'll quickly get the other 13. So that would be uh, my general take on things. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I mean, as you learn it, it becomes a second nature to you. And as long as you're using it, you shouldn't uh, regress in your ability to do it. But I did find it very interesting with with the tonalities that you used. How how do you determine that, though? How do you get not that they're going to run out and do this today, but how did you how do you actually decide, OK, look, this is how I need to speak. This is the this is the this is the pacing I need to use. Is that just something intuitive to you or, or do you have some kind of design behind it? There's definitely a design behind it, but it's, it's intuitive now. But I'm happy to explain the framework as I do in many of my videos. So the framework is simple. The vocal tones allow us to direct our audience towards the emotion we want them to feel. So let's say I use the word opportunity, Perry. That means a lot of things for a lot of people, but the general emotion that comes from the word opportunity is positivity. So let's use that word as an example. This is super advanced though, for those who are listening, so don't worry if you're, if you're, if you're having trouble following. So let's say we, we use that same word and we pronounce it three different ways. We can say it with low vocal variety, like so, opportunity. We can do it as we normally speak, opportunity. Or we can see it, say it with heightened vocal tones, opportunity. So you see the difference. So if I asked you, Perry, version one, version two, version three, which one do you like best? Uh, three. Right, three by far. And the reason you like three is because it conveys the emotion that you as a person expect from that word. So if I say car accident with a smile on my face, you're going to think I'm bizarre, inauthentic, and you might actually want to call the police, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. bizarre. So you always want to make sure you're tying the right emotion with the word that your audience generally associates with that. So let's say I say moment that matters. In that situation, both high vocal tones and low vocal tones will work equally as well, depending on the type of speaker that you are. So if you're someone who's more extroverted, you could say something like the moments that matter. That works. But if you're more of an introvert speaker and you're emphasizing a very soft kind of moment like drinking a cup of coffee in the morning you can say the exact same word and with lower vocal tones by saying moments that matter you're emphasizing a different feeling and an emotion for that specific moment so basically what i do and what the pros do hence why they only present one presentation is they look at every syllable every word every sentence of their entire presentation and and they make sure that it's perfect and the same, the same analogy can be given with pauses. If I'm giving a cof coffee uh, random word exercise and I'm walking up the staircases, I could tell that it's morning. I could tell that it, I'm tired, and I and I start to, uh, I start to transcribe those emotions through my pauses. Well, you know, I'm probably going to pause a lot more because since it's the morning, I want to slow things down so people know that it's the morning, and I'm not rushed for a coffee at Starbucks, so they can sit and feel that moment. So once again, very advanced for people. This is what 1% speakers do. So I think the, the yeah. general thing that I really want to push here is vocal tones is not something you should be focused on early. It's, it's very difficult for, I would say, 95% of the people I've worked with. You want to start by getting your confidence in other things. Random word exercise, saying less filler words, audience mastery, obsessing over them. And then over time, when you get really skilled at public speaking, then you can absolutely master vocal variety. Yeah, I think that I think that's absolutely great. Well, one person that comes into mind that does that really well is Simon Sinek. I mean, his his presentation skills are just absolutely astounding. 
uh, to watch him present anything. He could present a potato to me. I'd be interested. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the thing I want to push with Simon, since you mentioned him, because I made a whole video on Simon, just his speaking skills. We, we have to keep in mind, you know, he started speaking when he was in 2006. Like he's been, uh, he's been in the circuit for like 15 years now. So, so that stuff is definitely not intuitive. It's, it's something he's learned over time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Now, when, when it comes to communication, obviously you have the whole part where you have to present in front of other people and and the fears that you that you have when you do that, and then you have the one on one situations where where you want to make sure that you're communicating correctly, you know what you truly want to say, not not just what they want to hear. If that makes sense, absolutely. How how do you how do you work through that? Is are there any are anything that you've been using to to help facilitate that one on one type of communication? Absolutely. So I'm very big on state breaking, the same way Tony Robbins is with uh, the way he runs uh, his workshops. So so the way that I see conversations is you want to have fun while you're practicing, and that's generally not the case if you're at work because all of your meetings is more to to get something done. So every meeting is a stressful one. So what I recommend, especially after COVID's over is you want to find people that you want to connect to, that you want to have conversations with, and that's what makes you better as a communicator and allows you to tackle the boring meetings. And I'm not afraid to call them that. Like, to be an example, I was super intense in university with my competitions, and it was that extreme notion of my ability to present that made me a phenomenal corporate speaker. So even if I wasn't using the same weird analogies that I was in university, and I was a lot more toned down, because my foundational elements of public speaking were so strong at that point, it seemed like I was one of the best speakers in the company, even if uh, you know I wasn't really trying that hard from that. Same thing with conversations. You don't want to practice conversations all the time with people that you're trying to just get something from or get something done. You're not really – it's not really exciting. It's like if you're pr- practicing your pronunciation and every day you got up, looked at a, a book and just said, Sally went on a run this morning. I like potatoes. Like you're just going to get bored after three days. You're not going to like it. It's not going to be an enjoyable process. So what I recommend instead is you want to ask yourself your personal interests. What are some, what are some of the things that you like to talk about? Is it sports? Is it dancing? Is it break dancing? Is it cooking? Is it jogging? And then what you want to do is you want to find meetup groups for people who have the same interests as you. And then once you get into those groups, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make in your social skills or the way that you move your body language, because people just want to hear what you have to say since you all have the same interests anyways. An extreme example I give on this is if you're someone who likes collecting pens for some bizarre reason and none of your friends get it, my advice to you, spend a couple hundred bucks, fly out to the biggest pen collecting conference in the world, and I promise you, the way that you think about relationship building will change completely, because you'll start to walk up to people and just ask them what their favorite pen is, and you'll know exactly what they're talking about. Right. So that is how you practice conversations for fun. But obviously, since we can't do that right now, I would say the short-term uh, skill or the short-term tactic that people can do Go up to the five people that you love the most in your network and ask them all this one question. That question is, who do you think I should be connecting with from your network just to have a chat with, just to see who's interested? And I'm happy to connect you with someone that I know. Not business or anything. Just like, what's, who's the inter- most interesting person you know? And just talk to them. And I guarantee you, it doesn't matter what you say, you'll probably end up liking them in the same way that the best way to get new employees into companies, referrals, same thing with your network. And then over time, when you get more used to conversing all the time like i'm sure you are perry what happens over time is then you start to develop strategies that that allows you to maintain better one-on-one conversations and here's one that you can chew on right now 
The strategy is called mirroring. So what you want to do in a conversation is you want to mirror the energy of the other person. So let's use podcast interviews as an example to demonstrate this. Sometimes, Perry, when I get on a show and the host goes, you know, like yourself, you know, very excited, you know, I'm really excited to have Brendan on. This is going to be great. So what I do is I mirror the energy of, of yourself to make you feel that I understand you. Yeah, Perry, I'm super excited. This is going to be a great episode. But what I don't say is that the opposite is also true. I get on a podcast with Paula. We turn on the Zoom. And then she goes, oh, hey, Brendan, you know, I'm really excited to be here. And I go, oh, Paula, is this your first show? And she goes, yeah, but, you know, I've been praying for this. You know, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So then I reply with, totally fine. You know, I want to create, you know, safe space for you. How about we just do a couple of questions and see where it goes? Does that sound good? So notice how my energy level completely changed from day and night, right? You're just like, who is this guy? What happened? That's the key. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You always want to make the other person feel like you understand them. And the best way to do that, and this takes practice, of course, is by mirroring the energy of the other person. The other person is super excited, get more excited. Even if you're an introvert, try your best. And if the other person is very quiet and you're someone who's very loud like me, tone it down. Make them feel that you're on the same wavelength as them and they'll open up to you. And you know the the thing that I find interesting in what you just said is that in coaching we do we do the same thing. So you do mirroring because you want to to uh, be able to connect with your client. But after you mirror for a while, you'll throw in a test and then you'll see if you can lead. And that's something that again is more advanced, but it's also interesting in conversation because you can start with matching their tone, gaining that understanding, and it, just for fun, start lowering your pace. And see what happens to them when they start talking to you. <laughs> They'll start lowering their pace. But you got you have to mirror first, and then you can lead them. And that's really important. But what I want to touch on, on what you said about state breaking. And I actually, what's funny is I went, I went down before we started. Uh, those who know, I'm actually a smoker. So I went down to get my daily dose of nicotine. <laughs> and I wear a hat every day, my favorite hat. And it's actually a Tony's Robbins hat. So I am a firewalker, and I love Tony Robbins. And it's a little bit too woo-woo rah-rah for some people, but the it's, I mean, he's got to sell things and somehow he's got to get you to listen to him for, for three days straight. So <laughs> getting you to sit down and fall asleep ain't the best way to do it. But the, the principles that he teaches are absolutely tremendous. And the state breaking is something that I, I have been incorporating that and didn't even know I was doing it. You know, like there's a video on YouTube. You can look it up. A guy that's depressed and he's going to kill himself. And and then Tony Robbins looks down and goes, is it your shoes? <laughs> yeah, huh? I love that. He's like, they're fucking red. Is it your shoes? And then the guy starts laughing. If you talk to anybody who's worked with me, they will tell you this is this is what they'll, they'll say. And I've said, I had them tell it to you, t say it to me in meeting rooms. Perry, no matter what's happening. We know that you're laughing and you're smiling. You're taking care of it. If we ever see you not laughing and smiling, then we know there's really a problem. And the reason for that is that even in the most dire of situations, I will find a way to get a get a state break and level up the humor or level up the mood. You know, inside of a power plant, we had we had a, several different emergencies. And very, very somber conversations. But during those conversations, you find something. And I use humor and it's just something I didn't train a humor. I just, you know, find things silly. But doing that state break in a moment of tension can really get you past 
either the communication that you're not establishing with them, the bond that you're not connecting with them, the business deal that you're trying to close, but they're being very hesitant. But you you do that state break and it's just like, it's like a, the room just goes and all the pressure comes out of the room for a few moments and you can get back and, and almost like reset. So how, what, besides looking at somebody's shoes and asking them if that's the reason they're wanting to kill themselves, uh, <laughs> what, what techniques, because again, I do it on accident. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just part of me. What techniques do you use? What could you look for to, to do that in a consistent way and, and train up that skill? Right. So that's a fascinating question. Thinking about state breaks in public speaking coaching, something I've thought about for a while. And I, there's a couple of small things that I do, though that I, have, I have ways to go to get to Tony's level. But I would say a couple couple of things that I do is um, I make I make people do the random word exercise at the beginning of every single one of my coaching sessions. But I give them the most bizarre words. So, for example, I, I would look at, a, at an executive as a male and just go, "Your word is tampon," and then everyone starts laughing in the group, <laughs> especially the women in the group start laughing. They go, "Well, good luck with that one, buddy." And the guy gets mm-hmm. his face goes red, and I go, "James, we're waiting. What's what? What are you <laughs> waiting?" And he and he kills it, right? He does an amazing job with it. And and when when the other guys in the room see him do tampon, they're like, "Well, I better step up my game now because that SVP knows what he's doing." So, I, and if he's doing that, well, I got to listen to Brendan. <laughs> so so that's a couple, just a couple of fun things. But I think the other thing that, that I think you touched upon that's so important is the energy of the facilitator. You know that that carries so much weight in a coaching conversation or a, or really a life conversation. Like we feel it when we're at a networking cocktail, when we're at an event, when we're talking to people. We just know that one person in the whole room who's just lighting up the entire vibration of the whole place. And once again, it's a bit woo woo, but I think a lot of us can relate to this idea that wow, when Perry's in a room, you just feel it. You know the guy's happy. You know he's happy all the time. If you're having a bad day, just go talk to them. And he'll 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 set you straight in three seconds, and I try and be that person in those workshops too. So I think the ask that I have for people is to think about the relationship between communication and your personal brand within the company. Because remember, it hasn't been said yet. I'll say it: you get chosen, you get hired based on what you do, but you get promoted on who you are. The difference between a manager and an SVP isn't just chops, isn't just experience. It's we know what Bruce has accomplished. We know what he stands for. We know what his values are. That's why he's a senior VP because he's mentoring other vice presidents. Those VPs can work at any company, but they choose to work at this one because Bruce is the leader of that group or you know Julia, whoever the leader is. So, so the point that I'm driving is by communicating – better you should, you should use you should use caitlin caitlin works too <laughs> <laughs> sorry Kate, go ahead <laughs> sorry, i don't have a client named caitlin so that, that, that word didn't come up to me <laughs> go ahead no worries no. but i think the point i'm driving the point i'm driving here perry is this idea that as you get better at communication what this does for you is it allows you to communicate who you are more frequently the people around you so that when people talk about you, they don't just go, oh, you know, Perry gets the job done. No, they say, hey, did you know what Perry did for me yesterday? He's such a great guy. You know, he does all these things. So when the next promotion comes up and it's you versus three other candidates for, you know, the higher positions, you just become a no-brainer because they want to be working with you, Perry. They want to be doing deals with you, right? So it's, it's this idea of, 
communication allows you to communicate who you are more effectively so people understand your uniqueness within the corporation and the value you have to bring. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And a lot of the the reasons that that I've I've grown in in different organizations I've been in, a lot of the consulting contracts I get it is because of who I am, not just what I do. And I have a background, and and you've probably perused my LinkedIn. I've I've been around the block a few times, and I'm quite competent at what I do. But it's not that really what what stands out, or what I consider the the main thing that I bring to the table is an ability to communicate and connect with people sitting in a in a room. And have a relationship with them so that way when the tough decisions have to get made, because they have to get made and they have to get made every single day in an organization, there is somebody in that room that everybody can that everybody relates to and trusts that can then bring together all of their ideas into one executable strategy. And that they all agree with that they all want to do. And there has to be somebody in that room, preferably everybody in that room is that way. But m most organizations aren't like that. You have everybody who has their own agenda. They have they know why they think something's right. And they have a ton of experience. And maybe they have a lot of gray hair. And the older you get, the more stubborn you get. It's just the way it is. I see it in myself. I, I have to check myself. I ask my friends to check me. You know, because just because I think it's the right way doesn't mean it's the right way. And yeah, I'm getting old and I have a lot of experience, but that doesn't mean I know all of the answers. It's like I know what worked the last three times, but there may be a better way and I shouldn't shut myself off to it. So when when you're in a corporate environment, being able to communicate and have those connections, being able to do those state breaks, because those state breaks will make you someone people will come to in order to even just elevate their mood. Let's say you don't even know how to help them. But if you can state break somebody, you'll find it. People will come to you. They don't even know they're coming to you for that, but they will come when they're stressed out. They'll seek you out. And I, and I have people do that all the time. They're stressed out. And sometimes they'll just admit it. They're like, Hey, Perry, are you going for a cigarette? And I'm like, you don't smoke. He's like, yeah, I don't care. You going? <laughs> I want to go with you, you know, and that's just to help them get through it. And then when I'm in a meeting with this executive and there's five different people fighting for every little iota of their own idea, and I go, hey, John, um, what do you think about this? I'm just throwing some spaghetti on the wall. I, I'm not saying this is the right way. And I'll just throw an idea out there that is his plus a little bit of temperance. So maybe it gels with the other people. He'll jump on board because he knows me. He trusts me. He feels heard. He feels understood. So the things that you're saying, I, I see play out on a day to day basis. But again, I'm not trained in this. I mean, a little bit of training in college. I went to Bible college, so I had to do certain you know, public speaking training because you're supposed to be a pastor and stand up in front of people but it it's not thorough like what like what you're mentioning here so there there i definitely see the advantages of of learning and working with you to be able to get those so do you mainly focus on helping people get in the public area like giving presentation do you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff like what's your what's your specialty let's say yeah, absolutely. So, so I would say most of my clients these days, Perry, are are mostly technology executives that move up that want to move up into the C-suite. So, think of managers in IT, directors in IT. That's I would say probably eighty percent of my client base who wants to move up to the C to, to the C-suite position. So that that's most of the people that I work with. You got it. That's great. What are some of the successes you've seen? Do you have a client that, that lets you talk about them a little bit? Is there a, is there a story there of a, a journey that, that you can tell share with us? Yeah, of course, I'm happy to. So uh, what, what in particular, I would say, was a, was a program manager in Amazon and was, was looking to get better at communication, had a lot of trouble 
communicating with a lot of the um, the logistics leads and the 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 vice presidents within the company. So what I, so what I did with them with all the state breaks and all the exercises, I made him a lot more comfortable communicating with those people, and made it very clear on the direction he was supposed to take from a communication perspective. And he ended up leaving the company, and now he runs a two million dollar real estate portfolio. So so that was a. Uh, that was probably my, my funnest uh, journey to see someone who's so confident now. Now he's talking to MDs who run much bigger portfolios than he does, but uh, he's able to communicate with them with the confidence that he never had before. So, so what was that journey like? Like, how did it, how did it start? Where where was he when this when this journey started? Yeah, of course. So, so when he started, he was he was a bit afraid. He was happy that he was at Amazon, but he didn't feel like he deserved the job or the opportunity. And he didn't really know what his direction was within the company and didn't understand the value of communication when we started working together. But as I started explaining, you know, how to build his personal brand and thinking about how to how to communicate in a way that inspires people rather than getting just the job done, he was able to get some quick wins over the program, whether it's through the random word exercise, whether it's through the, the games that we'd play with other managers within the company uh, in the group coaching settings that I was a part of. So that after three months of, of working together, he had so much confidence that he just said, uh, you know, I've been working on this real estate thing on the side. And that's probably what I really want to do full time. And he was already making pretty good money for it. He was just scared to make the jump. But with the with the newfound confidence skills and, and communication, he was able to say, OK, now I'm very comfortable talking with a lot of SVPs at Amazon. So uh, talking to MDs at uh, and real estate companies won't be that much of a deal. And, and he's been quite successful ever since then. Dude, that's that's beautiful. Did he did he have any particular wins? Because I know that some of my clients, when when we go through things, they'll they'll have a a aha moment or a, or a huge win where they come back and Perry Perry, you won't believe <laughs> you know, and I did this thing that you told me to do that I practiced and and then it actually worked out exactly like that. Like, did he have any of those aha moments? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the the issues with that particular client was a lot of people were just bringing him down in his circles so he was losing a lot of confidence mostly from from his uh, from his surroundings so he wasn't able to communicate with the same energy that we're, we're communicating with each other today so he was always in a downer so the way that he can even if i was giving him all the right tactics to communicate more effectively he just didn't have the right energy so honestly the biggest win uh, there's one person in particular that just bringing him down i just told him to cut him out of his life and, and a week later he just became this incredible speaker and he was like brett you never guess what would have happened i just i just stopped talking to that person and my life just got uh, so much better now you feel like i can conquer the world and communicate anything to anyone at any time and i just went okay that was a lot easier than i thought it was going to be but uh that, but yeah, that wasn't what, his wife was it no 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 no, okay, no. Okay, <laughs> definitely definitely was no he has a great uh, amazing girlfriend uh, she's awesome Oh. Yeah, it, it is just absolutely amazing to see some of the, the transformations that, that people go through. And what, what do you think was his like the number one technique that helped him? Uh, definitely the the random word exercise is probably the most effective. So when I made him do a couple of words that uh, probably shouldn't be saying on this show, you kind of just went, uh, you kind of went red in the face, but it, it got him the results that he wanted fairly quickly. And it made him imagine a, a new state of being and a new state of, of going about his career, so much so that he ended up not even climbing up the corporate ladder anymore. Wow, no, that 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 is some some incredible results. And is are there any speakers that you've been coaching uh, recently? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I do coach a couple of speakers, though. I said most most of the people are executives these days. 
just because the speaking industry has kind of uh, gotten hit a bit with uh, with COVID and everything. And, and, about not being able to have an audience, right? Yes, yeah, it's just you know, it's just you know those flight. I don't think flights are. They don't know what that is anymore. It's kind of uh, not happening. So, so yeah. Um, so I've been coaching a lot less speakers than I usually do, uh, and I was able to replace all of those with executives. But yeah, absolutely, I work with a lot of speakers. Usually, what I do is within the the managers of it who want to move up the c-suite a part of that is they they have to become thought leaders especially at the senior vice president level and above so what i do essentially is i prepare them for their future selves where when in five years when they are that executive well they have to give industry conferences they have to go and fly out to that sap event to that salesforce event and give a talk about a client success story within the firm or what they've done. So it's about preparing them for those keynotes in front of uh, potential clients earlier than uh, than, they're, than they would otherwise be ready for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, and, and to be honest, it, it, se- it seems like no matter what you're going to do, if you're going to progress in life, having the ability to communicate with people, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a key part of it. Absolutely. Completely agree. You know, one thing I, I was just, I'm thinking about of, of an old friend of mine that uh, that had some of those same struggles. Now, I'm going to send this podcast uh, to that particular person, but this person is is very successful. They work at a, at a very large company and they make six figures and the first one doesn't begin with a one and I don't think it even begins with a two anymore. <laughs> And <laughs> they're doing they're doing well. And for somebody climbing the corporate ladder, that's a lot of money. For an entrepreneur, that that's not because you have to pay bills. But um, for somebody who's just you know doing a, a nine to five, well, when you make that money, really, you're, nobody does a nine to five. They do a sixty eighty hour week. But right. They're they're at that at that level. And we sat down and talked a, a long time ago. And I didn't I didn't help that person as much as I should have because we're you know we're we're far away. And. They told me that one of their key sticking points is when they have to give presentations in front of people. And what's great is they had such an honest, because I know them so well, we're friends. They, they came to me with such an honest conversation. And some of this I don't understand because I'm naturally an extrovert. And now I'm now I'm getting older. I'm becoming more of an introvert, to be honest. But for for the longest time, I was really an extrovert. And, and I'm a goofball, so it's really hard to get me to blush. So I don't relate to a lot of these fears that these people have. But when she, when uh, that person opened up to me, he goes, well, and if there's something, if there's somebody cute in the audience, it'll make me more nervous. <laughs> I and, love that. It, it, but it's like, it's that honesty, right? It's not just the fact that I'm standing in front of everybody and uh, just a complete fear. This person is, they, they don't just know what they do. I mean, they three, they three. Two to three hundred thousand dollars a year know what they do, and they're like, when I stand in front, I go blank. I'm scared of forgetting everything. It's like, yeah, but you've built it. You know, it's not logical, right? You're saying you built an entire career. You've gotten up this high. You know this stuff, and they're like, yeah, no, no, no. I get nervous and I forget. <laughs> <laughs> so. For for that person who I'm going to send this podcast to, by the way, um, what's your advice? What what should they be doing? So we know that the the one the, the exercise, the one word exercise. What else? Right. So so this is a peculiar kind of situation. So for me, it, once again, going back to the harder thing. Here, here's what I recommend for this person in particular. So one tip that I would give right away 
is when COVID is over, I challenge him, since he's going to be listening to this podcast, I challenge him to go to an event, a meetup group that he's passionate about. Maybe he has a passion for surfing or something outside of the group and challenge him to talk to five beautiful women and stare at them for three minutes in the eyes while having a conversation with them. I think that's something that'll help him a lot. And the reason is because it'll make him more confident when conversing to the last person he wants to talk to. That's one part of it. I know that sounds bizarre as advice, but I used to be scared of that myself all the time. So what I do, I just did a lot more of it. And then I realized in those conversations, it doesn't really matter if you're a man, a woman, a grandmother, or a grandfather, you're all human at the end of the day. And a lot of them are great people to talk to. Just ask great, thoughtful questions, have great conversations. Another easier thing that he can do if it's a bit scary is what I write, because I, I understand the struggles. A lot of my technology executive clients say the same thing, is what I make them do, especially the ones that, I mar- that are married or have people in their house, is, is to go uh, do what I call long stares. So long stares is when you go up to somebody, you stare at them for two, three minutes in the eyes, and you say nothing. You just say absolutely nothing. So what I do in my in-person workshops, Barry, is I actually pause for five minutes. So the, the whole room is just quiet, and I just stare at people individually for 30 seconds until the time's up. And you can tell that I don't seem awkward at all in that five-minute period. And the reason it's so effective is because it's not something we're used to. There are so many executive clients that I have that can't even look their wives in the eyes for three minutes straight without panicking. It's actually kind of absurd. It's pretty crazy, which is really hard for me to understand. But after I force them to do the exercise a couple of times, they go, Brendan, you won't believe what happened. No, I'm kidding. But uh, but I meant more in the sense of they get get a lot better uh, with pausing and staring people in the eyes. So the next time that um, the friend of yours goes up into a presentation and has already practiced staring at people for 10, 5, 10 minutes, uh, they don't get nervous anymore about the cute girl that's standing in the first row or the second row. They just go, oh, that's just a, another great, nice human being who's spending time listening to me. I might as well deliver some value to her. That's it. Like It just becomes a conversation. And that, that analogy, by the way, applies for every single person that you're afraid of. If you're afraid of talking to an SVP, get have long dinners with more of them. If you're scared of talking to CEOs, figure out a way to get in touch with more of them. And I'm sure in the in Perry's friend's case, you can just talk to Perry and then Perry knows every CEO in town. You I'm actually you'll have me make <laughs> some of those introductions. And then you can you can just talk to, to those people and realize that they're just humans at the end of the day. So I think the idea is always and I'll give you a basketball analogy that I think would be useful here. So once when Kobe Bryant used to play in the NBA he was he he was he missed a shot because a camera there was a there was somebody in the audience taking a photo of him in in a flash you know with flash on so the flashlight blinded him and he missed the shot so what he did was for 5 hours okay he got someone to put a light in front of him and he just kept shooting the ball until he got it 100% of the time so he never had that issue anymore i know that sounds crazy but you always want to find the gaps and knock out the gaps as quickly as possible. So if you're scared of looking at girls like you know in those types of presentation settings, go and have more conversations with them. They're humans like anyone else and over time nobody will scare you anymore. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's a key thing. I mean, even even when you have a phobia, for example, part of what you do is you you expose yourself to your phobia in a controlled environment where you're always allowed to back off and say no, so you can feel comfortable with that gradual exposure until that phobia be, no longer is a phobia. And that that's a that's a normal technique that you that you do to get people used to doing something that they're not comfortable doing, or if they're scared of spiders or or flying or or whatever it may be, you do that gradual exposure with them until until they're they're more comfortable doing it. And what about the the that just that fear of going blank? So I know that that one word exercise will help. Now, granted, this person that I'm, that I'm talking about does a, does a lot of presentations. It's not like they're not up on stage giving presentations. They're they're doing it. That's you know that's part of how they make their money. So they're not not doing it. But even though they're doing it in a consistent basis, for some reason that fear always lingers. It's just like I, I'm always they're always scared, you know, or that's what they tell me that they're always scared that some, they're going to forget, just go blank, and. Again, I don't know what to tell them personally to, you know, what to do. To me, it's like, look, practice until you know what you're going to say so well that you know that you'll never go blank and then put a couple of bullet points on a piece of paper because that's what I do. But that, <laughs> that doesn't mean, you know, I, I don't know if that helps them. Right. So, so the, the way that I would spin it, because I would give similar advice, but I would spin it a bit differently, is I would ask that person. You know, to answer this question, the question is as follows. Let's assume it was your last presentation ever. Okay. And after your, the presentation you give, you just die. Right? That's the context I said. I know it's a bit morbid, but it helps. <laughs> and what happens is you could, you could take as much time as you want to present. You can present for six minutes, six hours, doesn't really matter. But the punchline is that the audience won't remember you, won't remember your title, and won't remember your content. But they will remember one sentence what do you want the sentence to be so if i asked your friend this question he might say something very different than that is not related to work he might just say hey you know brenda i'm passionate about running marathons it would probably be something about exercise and nutrition and i would say okay let's call him bob okay bob that's great so now with that analogy going my advice to him would be to make a presentation around that one sentence or a presentation on nutrition and exercise and wellness and present it to three people, not 3000, just three people. None of my executive clients actually give presentations in my program on technology. They actually present the thing that they care deeply, deeply about. And sometimes that is technology. And sometimes that's just uh, nutrition and, you know, getting a plant-based diet or something. And then, but they care so much about it because they know that if they do it in the right way, other people will be influenced by and end up adopting that same idea. So what happens the next step after that is they do the same presentation over and over and over and over again. But the difference between that presentation, Perry, is people come up to him and go, hey, Bob, this health presentation you gave was really fascinating to me. It was really amazing. Thanks for changing my life. I actually started eating right because of you. And now what happens is your friend gets obsessed with presentations. And that's exactly what happened to me. When I started presenting to Master Talk people, uh, I was presenting to three people, you know, the three people who didn't really care about public speaking. They just liked me as a person. And then they just said, hey, this is pretty good. Why don't you speak in a classroom? Then I spoke in a classroom. And they say, hey, why don't you speak to more people? And now I speak to 400 people. Right. So I think the key is over time, when you find that one topic that you care deeply so much about, that you 
failure doesn't become an option. So now, since I've presented my same keynote, what, 400 times now, going blank is no longer even a possibility. It's impossible to go blank. I just know all of the, the, the nooks and crannies of my speech, and I hope your friend gets there very quickly as well. No, that's absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm definitely sending this to to them even before even before this comes out for the general public. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're getting a podcast to their email going, "Here you go." You know, maybe you should maybe maybe they should call you because the, I want to go back to the the key thing that that you mentioned at the beginning of the call that I I really do think as as simplistic as it is 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 fascinating. And I want to dive into it a little bit deeper here before we before our time's up which is picking that word and and then doing your your spiel for for 1 minute or 2 minute the John Maxwell does this every morning he has the Maxwell minute they give him a word and he spends 1 minute talking about that word he does it every single day i think he's like almost 70 now um and he does he does it on air <laughs> it's like here's the word and then an email goes out to everybody who's in the John Maxwell team uh, called the Maxwell minute now just simply doing it is is a help. So if you wake up tomorrow morning and you just look around your house and you see a mouse like I did and you want to build a story around a mouse and deliver a little talk about a mouse or a talk that has a mouse in it and it's in some way in its, its punchline, that, that's great. But its utility is limited because you don't have somebody there to show you the rest of the way. So if you want someone to show you the rest of the way, well, that's that's what Brennan Brennan does. So Brennan, how is somebody going to contact you, and how important is it to contact you to get that other piece besides just doing the exercise? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think accountability is everything that you do, and it, it allows you to get that 10x, that 100x improvement in microseconds rather than figuring it out on your own. So if you're someone who wants that help, I think the best way the best way to connect with me. If you want to get in touch for coaching is probably my website which is mastertalk.ca you can just fill out a, a form and contact me directly and someone from my team will get back to you but if you want to check out just the youtube videos where i share all of my knowledge for free uh, that's master talk in one word so you can just type that in the youtube search engine you'll find me and if you're into instagram for some of you maybe probably not all of you but if you want to send me a message there uh, as well that's master your talk Beautiful. And and what do they get in coaching? What's different between them sitting at their table and going, mouse, I like mice. Mice <laughs> are fun. They change colors. I click them. They take me to internet sites, some of which I don't tell people that I go to. So beyond, <laughs> beyond doing that, what are they getting when they sign up for you? Absolutely. I would say the biggest benefit of the coaching program is you're, you're connected to other executives from other companies. So you're not just presenting to yourself anymore you're always presenting to a small group of people who are extremely exceptional as individuals the i, I do not let average people into this program or else it creates a, a bad experience for everybody so these people are are, are people who are very successful in their careers like the person you mentioned to earlier perry and, and they're very supportive like they're people who want to get better with each other we have accountability teams within the group so the sole objective is to make everyone c-suite ready uh, but in the in, in three months, essentially. And if you're already a C-suite executive, to make you a thought leader, right? So either way, it all works out. So, th so the key, I would say, is really the accountability piece. And of course, I'm the facilitator, so I'm going to be giving feedback. Uh, you pretty much get one-on-one -on -one with me since the groups are fairly small. They're between uh, six and eight people on average. 
Dude, that, that that's great. And I just want to share something here at the end uh, to encourage people to go contact uh, Brendan or, or anybody else that you're looking into. See, the, why I came into leadership and starting starting to study leadership in general when I took on a project that was that, that basically I had no reason uh, I had no business taking on and and I should have absolutely failed. And at that moment where I was so far beyond my competence, I was finally able to silence my ego. And I had an old friend of mine when I started studying leadership. They, they looked at me and I was actually signing up for a Harvard class and he thinks the world of me and I appreciate him and I love him to death. And he's a close friend of mine. And we sat down and he looked at me and goes, why are you going to take this Harvard leadership class? You probably know everything they're going to teach you. And he said that to me and, and it's a compliment. And I, and I love the fact that he thinks of me that way. I, I wish everybody thought of me that way. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to go. No, you, you know every, you know, you know way more than those people do. You know, I, I wish everybody thought of me like that. But the, the thing is, is that you can never think of yourself like that, right? So I have a lot, had a lot of experience, and, and he knew me through that experience. He's worked with me before, and but you can never think of yourself like that. And you always have to have to reach out and, and try to learn more because – in order to grow in life, whether it's it's in your corporate business or your personal life or, or your entrepreneur or inside of the corporate ladder, whatever it is that you're trying to do, in order to do that, you have to become better. The, the same you doesn't doesn't get a better place. It's, it's the better you that gets the better place. So it's very important to work with people like Brendan, um, people like myself, which, by the way, I'm not taking any clients. So do not call <laughs> me. Do not try to sign up. This is not a pitch to sign up with me. So. But just understand <laughs> that you have to do these things to get better because if you don't get better, nothing around you gets better. So, <laughs> so go to Brendan's website. Take a look. If you need help with, with speaking, he obviously knows what he's talking about. I really enjoyed it. Brendan, I, I think it's fascinating, uh, the talk. I, I would love to do this again later on in the future and then get more down into the nuts, bolts, and mechanics because it's something that I frankly don't know that much about that would be fascinated to have a conversation to, to understand the advanced stuff. But um, thank you so much for coming, man. Do you have anything you want to say? Any parting remarks? Any whiskeys to give out <laughs> you know you know uh, since we talked about public speaking the entire show i think i'll leave a small gift for everyone who's left in the call and the small gift is my last final piece of advice uh, which is my favorite quote and the quote is be insane or be the same if you made it this far in the conversation you probably want to do something important with your life so the only advice i have left for you is that the only way to do that is to practice the art of insanity don't you find it odd that someone like me started a YouTube channel, not on vlogs, not on pranks, but on public speaking and communication skills and went on to coach C-level executives the year after? Yet I karaoke in eight languages and I dance alone in my basement an hour a day. How does that work? How does that make any sense at all? And that is the point. You all need to realize that the people who are bizarre, the people who communicate their weirdness to the world, the people who are extreme are the people who get extreme results. If you're someone who does that and who embraces who they are as an individual, who understands what they're trying to achieve, what they stand for, what they value, your personal development, who you'll be as an individual skyrockets. So I hope you all practice the art of insanity.
That's that's absolutely great. That is so true. Brandon, look, we, we've we've done the hour. I mean, we could keep going, but I, I'm going to respect your time. I, I truly appreciate this. This was this was fun as hell. And um, yeah, let's 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 run it back one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Perry. Such an honor to be on. Thanks for having me.